Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And today, our guest is Jordan Wellington, and Jordan is Chief Compliance Officer at Simplifya. Uh, Jordan, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. And I, uh, I appreciate the garbling of my title. The, the more people garble my title, the fancier it is. So uh, that is that very true. a fancy title. Very true. And we've been chatting a little bit already and have, have had a little bit of fun kind of talking about our conversation today. But actually, why don't we start with just kind of learning a little bit more about you, learning a little bit more about Simplify. Like, tell us a little bit of background of how you got involved and, and what you're doing right now. Yeah, uh, happy to. So I'm a Jersey boy, grew up back east and moved to Colorado in 2012 after a stint at Brooklyn Law School and as a bill drafter in the New Jersey State Legislature. Mm -hmm. I was trying to find basically any job I could at that point so that I didn't have to move back to New Jersey from Denver. Uh, That was like the family (laughs) goal is make it through and stay in Colorado. And uh, I have a very good buddy, also a part of the New Jersey team that turned out to be legislative director during the 2013 legislative session. Okay. So uh, my background is mostly in public policy as either a bill drafter or a researcher, you know, white papers, kind of things like that. And uh, he hired me as a legislative aide for $400 a week. Already had my law degree and several years of experience. So I, th- I think they got a good deal. But uh, <laughs> I, got, I had a job and wasn't, wasn't working and applying for jobs all day long. Yeah. So showed up to work one day and I had been working on everything from civil unions to gun control that legislative yeah. session. And uh, my boss calls me into his office. He had a little whiteboard in the back where he like had everybody's projects listed that they were working on, mm-hmm. erased everything under my name and drew a pot leaf. Uh, and, <laughs> and said, uh, you know that, you know, you know, the governor's task force finished their report on marijuana legalization. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, I, I read the newspaper. And he's like, cool. He's like, you're in charge of staff staffing the joint select committee. 
And I said to him, you know, can I please go do something else? I need to like a job uh, after after the legislative session. And yeah, I don't, exactly. want to, like, you know, I got like plus loans to pay and I'm like, you yeah. know, major in debt and like it's a thing. And he's like, he said to me, and I'll never forget it. He said, fuck, no, this isn't a democracy. Go do what I told you. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, we're both from Jersey. So, you know, most of our communication was four letter words. Yeah. So wasn't like odd. It was just kind of funny because he's like the legislative director in the House Majority Office in the state capitol in Denver, yep. telling me that this wasn't a democracy. Um, and I think his point was the office wasn't a democracy, even though we are engaged <laughs> in participatory democracy. And so it wasn't up for a vote. What <laughs> wasn't up for a vote? You know, thank God that that he insisted because uh, it has really been the greatest opportunity and pleasure yeah. of my life to be able to do what I've done over the last half decade. Yeah. So when was it? This happened. What year? In 2013. So Colorado passed Amendment 64 legalizing adult use cannabis yep. in November at that election. Yep. Uh, shortly after that, our former governor, our almost soon to be former governor, John Hickenlooper, convened a task force to create a big report on how the state was going to implement legalization. Mm -hmm. And once that report was finished, it came to the legislature to pass bills and statutes that would effectuate the constitutional amendment, which was really very bare bones. And so the first thing that they did was create what was called the Joint Select Committee, joint between the House and the Senate. Uh, there was no fun. Not marijuana joint. No, God, I wish that would have made the meeting <laughs> way more interesting. But unfortunately, no. And so I was the the staffer. And, you know, my background was in the New Jersey State Legislature, uh -huh. where the House Majority Office has 30 full-time people. Everyone's got law degrees and suits. They're very, very fancy. Yeah. I I'm not so fancy. But uh, I was literally the only one. So I assumed I was walking into this, like, sea of people and professionals, and I was just going to help them. And they were like, no, no, no. It's literally you. And you're yeah. the only one. And you're going to go figure this out. And so I worked uh -huh. with... Representative Dan Pabone and Representative Jonathan Singer and Senator Sherry John and a bunch of the other representatives and senators, as well as all the different stakeholders. And my job first at the Joint Select Committee and then as they went through the House and Senate was basically to be the, the go-between, which is a fancy way of saying gopher. Uh, and what I would do is show up to work every day and scurry around the Capitol and go find all the cannabis stakeholders, figure out what they wanted or complaints they had or what they wanted to change, and then go find the legislators that were in charge and be like, okay, you know, Steve wants this and Bill wants this and Susie mm -hmm. wants that and uh, Shannon wants this. And, you know, they'd be like, okay, well, what do you think? And I was like, well, we, you know, this is who we can give what to and the reasons why we can't do what the other ones are asking. Yeah. And then we talk it out. And then I'd go run down to the bill draft office because I was actually a bill drafter and could be like, okay, we want you to write all these amendments. And then I'd run back up and, and basically complete that process over and over and over again until 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night yeah. until the bills got through. And so I managed to shepherd the bills out of the joint select committee through the House of Representatives and through the Senate. And then what I will say is, and this will mean absolutely nothing to anybody other than the nerdiest of policy wonks, but it okay. is like one of the greatest achievements of my career that makes me super, super happy in like the dorkiest way. I got the bills through the House and Senate in 13 working days without going to conference committee. Okay. And that again, means nothing to anybody who doesn't live this day and night. But if you live it day and night, you know that these kinds of bills always go to conference committee. There's okay. always differences between the House and the Senate that need to be hashed out. Yep. And I managed to get the House to concur with Senate amendments, needless to say, was not expected. When I when I told Representative Pabone that he could concur, he was like, there's no way we can concur, Jordan. What are the problems? I was like, uh-uh. I'm like, I got this thing done right. We nice. totally can concur. And he's like, fine. He's like, I'm going to go ask all the stakeholders. And he came back to me and he was like, I can't believe you're right. He's like, we could just <laughs> concur and go home. That's great. 
because that was actually the last day of the legislative session, which meant as soon as they uh, bang the gavel in Colorado, it's signy die, last day of legislative session, uh-huh. close everything up and everybody goes to the bar. If we had to go to conference committee, we could have been at the Capitol until 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night, yeah. holding literally the entire lobby corps, all the elected officials, governor, governor, staff. I mean, literally everybody in Colorado goes to the bar yeah. this night and everybody would have been waiting on us. But instead, we got to leave with everybody. We were the heroes of the night, got legalization passed and flooded Stonies on uh, Lincoln, I think, or Broadway or whatever street it's on. Yeah. And uh, so everybody celebrated. So, so you were you were there at ground zero of the stuff all all actually happening from a, a process point of view and a legalization point of view. Yeah. Then literally at the bar that night, the executive director of the Department of Revenue came up to me while I was getting a beer mm-hmm. and was like, I want to hire you to come work at the Marijuana Enforcement Division to run the implementation at the administrative level because I had already done all the statutes and knew what they all meant and and all the work that they had to do. And so I talked to a bunch of my new friends that were cannabis stakeholders that I had met and had a lot of job opportunities. And everyone just agreed that like literally the nerdiest possible thing I could have done was to go work for the weed police and and write cannabis, you know, technical cannabis operational compliance regulations. So I went and did that. And it was an absolutely tremendous amount of fun and and where I learned another really important lesson, which is when you're at the legislature and you're not sure what to do about something, everybody's like, well, just kick the can down the road and administrators will figure it out. You know, we'll let the regulators figure that one out. Well, since I then worked for the regulators, I ended up kicking the can to myself (laughs) uh, on on a lot of policy issues, which I then got to my new job and was like, man, like shit, I really should figure that out. I really created a mess here for myself. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, lesson learned, you know, not always good to kick the can down the road because you might be the one getting it by the time you're done. But uh, yeah, I I had a a tremendous, it was about a year of my life where I first did all of implementation, supporting all the work there with the, you know, I was like the the policy nerd that was running around figuring it out with all these other people. And then at the marijuana enforcement division where I was again, like really the only policy guy, we had some people from the AG's office that were part of our team Mm -hmm. that really helped in certain areas. It was their expertise. And then we had uh, uh, Ron Camerzel and Louis Koski, some of the Department of Revenue, Marijuana Enforcement Division guys that were really helping put all of this together. And I was the one with the policy background and, and the bill drafting background, which is why, you know, I think still today, Colorado's regulations, mm-hmm. you know, aren't perfect. And there's lots of stuff I would change even when I wrote them. There's stuff that I wrote and didn't agree with. Yeah. But I really feel like in a very technical, dorky way, ours are structured really well and easy to read. So that like okay. as a former bill drafter made me really happy. Yeah. So that's the the sort of the government side. So talk to us about Shopify. Like how did that that transition or how did how did that come about and and what is the focus of the business side of that? Yeah. So Simplify is a regulatory compliance software for cannabis businesses. And so the first thing that I need to say, really important, we are yeah. not a seed to sale company. We're not Flowhub, GreenBits, MJ Freeway. We do not do inventory tracking. Yeah. We do a little bit of analytics and data support around that, that we're working on building a feature around. What we do is self-auditing, standard operating procedures, document management, and licensing. Okay. Um, and that's our main core competency. So like the nuts and bolts operationally of running a cannabis business in compliance with the law. Yeah. And so I, uh, I left public service in February of 2014 okay. and uh, joined the Vicente Cedarberg law firm as the director of compliance. Got it. And then shortly thereafter as vice president of 
government affairs at VS Strategies, the uh, lobbying and strategic communications firm that the Vicente Cedarberg guys had founded with uh, Steve Fox. And so I spent several years at the law firm, mm -hmm. both advising clients on compliance issues, as well as uh, continuing my work in public policy, meeting with really policymakers from all over the world uh, on cannabis regulation, authoring white papers, doing all the, the fun stuff that I now have the privilege to get to spend my time doing. <laughs> But it just all of the compliance work didn't quite make sense. We were a okay. law firm competing with non-attorneys. So normally, if you want to get a contract or a will or something like that done, you need to go to a law firm to get that done. And there's this unauthorized practice of law, which is creates a barrier to entry into the legal market, which requires you to have a law degree yeah. and all these other things that basically make it so it protects law firms from market competition from non-lawyers. And mm -hmm. law firms have very expensive labor costs yeah. um, because all the people that work there have very expensive degrees, which means lots and lots and lots of student loan debt. Yeah. Uh, and so but in compliance, there were lots and lots of non-law mm. firms that yeah. provide client services. And so I'm sitting here with legal rates being like, well, we're a lawyer, so we're you know yeah. better. They're like, yeah, but this guy can charge a third of what you can because they don't need to have a lawyer bless and touch everything. At the same time, we saw tremendous inefficiency in the compliance market. Audits being a, a great example where mm. Literally every compliance company that I'm aware of that provides an, an audit service. And what we mean by that is the marijuana enforcement division or regulator in any particular state is going to come out and check your business for compliance. Mm -hmm. So you want to kind of conduct a self-test before the real test. Yeah. You know, so we essentially provide practice tests. Everybody that runs a compliance company was writing their own practice tests. Uh, we uh -huh. had ours and every one of my competitors had their own. And so we kind of said to each other, oh, and on top of that, our clients were like, you know, it's really great to like pay you to come out here and conduct an audit at our facility, but I'd rather just buy your checklist from you. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, yeah, but if I, then, then I'm out of a job. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> that's not good business. So, you know, no, but okay, this is all fascinating information. And for us, that fascinating information boiled up to a market opportunity. Yeah. You know, the folks at Vicente Cedarberg, you know, and, and the team that I used to work on down there are, are kind of renowned around the country as, mm -hmm. as the policy experts, the regulatory experts. And I was, you know, fortunate to be part of that team and, and help build that reputation and, and be part of all of that. And what we realized was we needed to leverage our expertise and our reputation in a way to address this inefficiency. We shouldn't yeah. be a law firm competing with non-attorneys. We shouldn't have everybody in the entire industry, whether you're a large scale business like Native Roots that's writing their own checklist or a compliance company like iComply or Point7 or Rocky Mountain Cannabis Consulting, they're all writing their own checklists. Well, what if we made a software where we, the regulatory experts, wrote a checklist mm -hmm. and then through a monthly subscription could have people have access to that checklist and then pay us a monthly fee and we could update it when the rules changed and, and things like that. And then what else could we do? Well, there's standard operating procedures. Oh, there's document mm -hmm. management. There's yeah. training that we're going to be working on later into 2019. There's license tracking and building applications and something that we're going to be launching at the beginning of 2019. And so all of a sudden it was like, okay, we don't necessarily need to compete with all of these folks. What we should really be doing is building a tool yeah. that leverages our expertise in a way that is revenue positive and doesn't undercut ourselves and build a business around that because there was clearly a need, right? There's clearly a need for cannabis businesses to comply with the law. Mm -hmm. There's clearly a need for all of these consultants and businesses to create their own content. 
And there's a lot of inefficiency in one business and another business and another business doing the same thing over and over again when in exchange for, I mean, literally our software is $189 a month per facility. So yeah. for less than 200 bucks a month, you don't need to write your own checklists. We have all kinds of standardized template SOPs for compliance related activities. We go through all the regs and find every single document the regulators say you better have on site when I ask for it and create yeah. this filing system for everything. And so we try to take all of this stuff and make it really, really easy for businesses. And so instead of competing with all these compliance companies, now we're the tool that the compliance companies yeah. use, we're the tool that the businesses use, and hopefully in the near future, even a tool that governments use, and in turn have kind of solved, at least to some extent, this inefficiency that we saw in the market, as well as hopefully increased compliance rates for cannabis businesses, which we think as a company that that uh, was born from Vicente Cedarberg and yeah. believes in cannabis reform, you know, fundamentally as as a right and as our mission is really, you know, to end prohibition, uh, you know, simplifies an extension of that. We believe that through compliance, we can show the world that we yep. are a responsible industry yep. and that cannabis, pro, uh, cannabis reform will continue. Yep. And if the world starts to think that the cannabis industry isn't responsible and won't follow the rules, then we could start to see the tide turn. And so we're going to try to do everything we can in a very cost effective way yep. so that even mom and pops can afford us so that everybody has an opportunity to stay on the right side of the regulations, stay in business and, and, and hopefully build an amazing business and employ a lot of great people. Yeah, yeah makes sense. So let's talk a little bit about compliance and, and who actually falls under compliance in which ways, I mean, because it's it can get a little complicated. So what businesses or what aspects of what businesses fall under some aspects of compliance? And, you know, if we need to talk on a state by state level, you know, let's pick a generic. But what what businesses fall under this compliance requirement? So really all plant touching businesses. Okay. Um, so we're not talking about ancillary service. Well, I mean, mm -hmm. literally every business has compliance requirements in the sense that like the federal government has all kinds of regulations and yep. states, general business regulations that apply to everybody. But in cannabis, in addition to all the stuff that the federal government, state government and local government says you have to do mm -hmm. on top of all of that, that every other business has, you have a special, special set of regulations that you also have to follow. And that's really where our expertise is. That's where we focus on is those special cannabis regulations. And so cultivators, processors, and retailers mm -hmm. all have different special sets of regulations. And these are things like how a cultivator is allowed to waste cannabis material. There's always special rules. You can't just throw it in the trash. You got to make it usually unusable and unrecognizable and mix mm -hmm. it with a bunch of other garbage, which is a stupid idea that they created in Colorado that has since proliferated around the country. But that's just one example of literally almost every aspect of the way you run your business, your security system. Okay. When visitors come to your facility and want to like come inside, occupational licensing, who you can hire and who you can't hire, mm -hmm. every aspect is touched by these regulations. Mm -hmm. And it's not just how, how you handle the plant, how you process the plant. It's it's everything. It's, it includes the security, the HR, the records, all of that kind of stuff as well. Exactly. Yeah. And there's, I mean, in Colorado, medical and retail are probably you know, 160 to 200 pages each now. So you're looking at, mm -hmm. let's say, easy three to 400 pages of regulations. And they obviously overlap quite a bit, yeah. but, you know, that you have to follow. And so we kind of try to make that. That's what we focus on. We fixate on the those regulations because in addition to special regulations, you get special regulators, right? That's, that's the other side of the deal. Hmm. When a normal business has... Let's say, uh, you know, in a city like Denver, if you want to open up a T-shirt shop, 
you know, there's the people who check you on signage and the building code. And so there's there's a, there's a body of regulators yeah. that come out for every business and they oversee every single business in the whole city. And then there's the cannabis special guys and yeah. they focus on nothing other than the cannabis industry. Yeah. So you not only have special rules you have to follow, but then you have special people dedicated to make sure you're following those rules. And that's a tremendous source of risk for businesses, right? Yeah. Not just the risk of extra rules to follow, but the enhanced risk of getting caught because there's more cops on the beat. So, so describe how does this actually play out? So I'm a, I'm a cultivator. Do I get uh, a knock on the door at 3 a.m. and they come in and check everything? Is this do I get a letter in the mail? I mean, how does how does the compliance actually get you know, implemented on a, on the ground. Well, I, yeah, I, mean, I think you're asking about enforcement. And so that, okay, that's gonna yeah. come, it's kind of going to come in the middle of what you were saying. So, uh, the regulators are not going to send you a letter and saying I'm coming on Tuesday at yeah, 10 exactly. in the morning because, yeah. uh, it's definitely a pop quiz, but a rule that seems to have taken hold that we, that we wrote in Colorado that seems to have taken hold one way or another around the country is, uh, the regulators only come in when the business is operating. And so the language we use here in Colorado is at times of apparent operation. So, you know, it doesn't say we can only show up between nine and five. So you do all your illegal activity at 630, (laughs) which is which is something we we, uh, figured out back in my fraternity house days in college that uh, (laughs) the fraternity council would stop policing at two in the morning. So if your party started at 230, you could get away with anything you wanted. Uh, So, you know, if a 19 year old frat kid could figure it out, then I'm sure the sophisticated business owners in the cannabis industry could figure out that time, too. But basically, anytime you're running your business, you can show up. They can show up and, and they can show up and ask you for any kind of documents, any set of questions. You have to let them in. In fact, if you don't let them in, that is a rule violation in and of itself. Hmm. So they don't need to come into your – if they want to prosecute you for doing something wrong and you don't let them in and you're like, ha-ha, see, you can't catch me. And it's like, no, literally not letting me in is a violation that I can yeah. fine you for and shut your business down. So they come in. A lot of times they troll businesses' metric accounts. So they're like watching everybody's metric for anomalies or, or uh-huh. weird data as an indication of noncompliance. Uh-huh. Or they'll send officers out proactively and go through, a, you know, not the full deep dive, but, mm-hmm. you know, a list of questions that are designed to figure out like, okay, is this, uh, is this business well run or not? Yeah. Most regulatory agencies operate on, on what I call the iceberg theory of compliance. Like if everything on the surface is okay. Yeah. Then everything underneath we'll is that, probably okay. Yeah. But if they see a tip of an iceberg, if they see some compliance issues at a high level, that probably means when they start digging under the surface, they're going to find a lot more. Yeah. And so, you know, you see a lot of that. You see they'll, they'll come in and they'll ask a handful of questions. And and if you get some of those wrong, then they'll start asking a lot more. If you kind of get the, the surface level stuff right, they might go away, which, yeah. you know, is why we come in and why, why we're so important, because we can help you ace the test when the regulators show up. Uh, you know, it's always a fun time around our office when a, a client calls and they're like, the regulators showed up and I got everything right just because of you guys. And we're mm-hmm. like, well. That's awesome. At least we're doing something right around here. <laughs> and so how do actually people use the tool? So Simplifya does what it provides the checklist and things, but how does a company actually start to use the data that you have and operationalize it in terms of what they do on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. So we have a lot of different features that help folks do that. At a really, really basic, like super you know, surface level, mm-hmm. you can enter all of your licenses into our software and all of your occupational licenses, like mm-hmm. your employee work sign-offs, as well as little things like your fire extinguisher permits and things like that, mm-hmm. and track their expiration and renewal dates. Yeah. 
So that's really important, right? Operating with an expired license, very bad. Yeah. So at a very, very superfluous level, we're going to help you with that stuff. Yeah. And we're working on a feature to build out applications and, and really do a lot more there. But we also have some other proprietary features. One is our audit software. Yeah. So we take every single regulation that is, we think, auditable. So literally not every word, but anything that you can check up on and turn them into simple yes or no questions. Okay. They're at a fifth grade reading level. Yeah. And you walk around your facility and it's like, you know, does your security system have 40 days worth of backup? Does your battery have four hours for your alarm system in case of a powder outage? All the different rules that you mm -hmm. have to follow. Yes or no questions. Walk around, answer yes or no. We have a native iPhone and iPad app that you can use even if you're not connected to the Internet. So, you know, even the farms up in Humboldt can use us. Yep. And basically, once you're done, it spits out a report and says what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong and how, you, how to fix it. Kind of a checklist of things to do. Yeah. And what's really nice is we actually go a step farther than that. Instead of just giving you a report that's static, mm -hmm. we have a digital report that's dynamic. You can print out a PDF that's static, but every single instance of noncompliance, we call an action item. That action item operates, if you're familiar with Apple Reminders, really similar to that, where you can tag different people to it. You can add notes and photos to it to show communication or resolution, and then you can mark it off as resolved. So it's not just a static report that says, okay, this is 10 things you gotta do. Mm -hmm. You can say, okay, I want, you know, I want Cindy to fix those five things, and I want Chris to fix these six things, and Bruce, you're gonna fix this one thing over here, and everyone's got their own accounts, kind of like social media in that way. Yep. And so you'll get a ding, you know, Bruce, you got a ding in your account that says, hey, you know, the yep. license wasn't hanging up on the wall, at the entrance where it's supposed to be, go find a copy of our license in the file, make a copy of it, hang it up on the wall. And then you can walk over and literally take a picture with your phone and upload it to show remediation. Yeah. Um, and it's really important because we've, at least when I was at Vicente Cedarburg in, in the four plus years I ran their compliance team, I never audited a compliant business. I found something wrong in every single business I went into. Mm -hmm. And so I always tell people like, this isn't about being perfect. It's not about 100% compliance. This is about fixing the problems that you find. And so we want to give you a tool that allows you to not only find your problems, but track them through resolution to eventually hopefully get that 100% score one day. I'm just kind of curious from a from a, an actual enforcement point of view, if if you know someone comes in and looks and the sign's not hanging there and so they ding you on the sign and it becomes an issue, if you have a system that shows like, well, you know what, we flagged that a while ago, we actually hung it up, it's been up there for six months, it's just for some reason between the day before the person got there and the day the day that they showed up, it somehow disappeared. If you have a have a track record or if you've got documentation that says, look, we've audited ourselves on a regular basis and it has been there and you know we've been non-compliant just for you know two days now, does that actually help? I mean, you, does the the records that you're keeping help in the in the enforcement process? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that's really what the game is all about, right? Yeah. You've got all of these different regulations. People make mistakes all the time. Yeah. You need to build a relationship with your regulators and yeah. build a reputation as a compliant operator. Yeah. And so, absolutely. I mean, we've seen it happen time and time again, where two businesses do the same thing and the punishment is different. Yeah. There's a reason for that. There, there's a history that, that goes into that. I mean, take it out of cannabis. Take it out of highly regulated industries. Yeah. If you get pulled over for speeding, the cop knocks on your window and, you know, why are you going too fast? Well, my yeah. wife's about to give birth and we're going to the hospital. Yeah. Well, shit, I'm going to, like, get in front of you and help you get there even faster, right? Yeah. Whereas yeah. the guy who's got, like, nine speeding tickets beforehand that, yeah. like, flips the cop the bird, like, that dude's probably going to jail, like, right then mm -hmm. and there, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, it's the same idea. 
Recently, the Oregon regulators revoked a couple of licenses. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the high-level details of the story is they found an illegal grow, and for God knows whatever reason, the people at the illegal grow kept the plant tags from yeah. the legal grow where they got the plants from on the plants that were still because so they found the illegal grow and they're like, all right, well, these tags are registered to a licensed facility. We might as well go check those guys out. And when they went to the licensed facility, let's just say there were a lot of problems that they yeah. found. Yeah. And you know, we have friends with good relationships and things like that. And we've talked to the regulators and and they're never going to come out and say, you know, this, that, or the other thing. But, you know, I think we have it on good authority that if they had walked into that licensed facility and that place was buttoned up tight and they were like, oh my God, I can't believe it. You know, that's uh, Tim, our our junior cultivator's house. And, you know, we were a little worried about him. So we've had him on, you know, kind of supervision, but like every plant is tracked look at our self audit reports, look at all our documentation, like that guy's a rogue employee. We're not a bad business. They wouldn't have revoked that license. They would have worked with them to get it fixed. They would have gotten them into compliance and that business might've had a blemish on its record, but it certainly would still exist today. Yeah. Whereas they didn't have that. They walked in and it was a shit show and the regulators pulled their license. Their, Their business is gone. And you know, we're, we're moving past the phase of mom and pops. Yeah in this industry. And so the mom and pops need to be able to protect themselves. And we help and work with a lot of small mom and pop shops. But at the same time, the large companies that have investors need to protect themselves too. You know, when people ask me about Simplify, like how do you summarize Simplify as quickly as possible? I just say risk mitigation tool. Like that's yeah. all we are. We like highly regulated industries have tremendous risk from regulatory enforcement. They can fine your business. They can suspend your business, make you close your doors, which is like really expensive. Yeah. You know, the business of selling weed and you're not allowed to sell weed for two weeks. Like that's a lot of money mm-hmm. or they can literally revoke your license. And so yeah. your entire investment can vanish. You know, they can do a summary suspension. They, they could suspend your business at the drop of a hat or they could go through a full process and mm-hmm. yeah, you have rights to appeal, but that's yeah. expensive. Yeah, you may not survive getting there. I've been on the legal service provision end of solving these things, and they're not cheap. And time spent on compliance will save you money in the long run. Yeah. I mean, I'm curious. Do you get involved on the investor side? I mean, do you find that, you know, the companies that you're servicing actually use this to help, you know, shore up or or make an investment case? Yeah. You know, I think that we really help on that in two different ways. So we try to we try to provide services to as many members of the industry as possible Mm -hmm. and not just plant touching businesses. So if you're a plant touching business, you know, we the way we explain it is we're we're your Carfax. If you decide you can sell like you're going to get a lot more money for a business that you can show that has a track record of compliance, at least in my opinion, than than not. Because if I'm choosing between buying two cannabis businesses, I want to know what's under the hood. and, And that's really compliance. Like we've dealt with it before where someone buys a business and they're like, get in there. And they're like, oh my God, I've got a hundred thousand dollars worth of legal work to clean up my metric account and consultants out the wazoo versus one that's actually compliant. And then on the investor side, uh, we have a service that we call the oversight portal designed for banks, landlords, investors, insurance companies, really anybody that wants a window into the compliance status of a cannabis business. Yeah. And so that works. We have a a feature called the smart cabinet. It's where you store all your documents. It's a really, really fancy Google drive. Yeah. So our oversight portal is a really, really fancy Dropbox. That's all it is. Yeah. There is a parent and child company in that Dropbox, in the oversight portal. The parent company, the bank, the investor, the landlord says, I want to get all these different documents from you. I want a copy of your state cannabis license, your local cannabis license. I want a quarterly audit report. I want a copy of your insurance. I want a copy of your lease. They schedule out all the due diligence requirements that mm-hmm. they want 
from that uh, that licensee, that that child in that relationship. And then the plant touching business actually uploads the documents to help meet those needs, allows them to check the license status and whether it's expired or not. So it's a way for investors, it's a way for banks, it's a way for landlords, really all of these companies that also have risk associated with compliance, right? The investors have risk because they don't want their investment to vanish. Yeah. Uh, but the landlord has risk too, right? The landlord wants his tenant to stay there and keep paying every month. No, absolutely. He doesn't want to spend the time and money to find a new tenant that's lost revenue. So all of these people have compliance risk. And what we can do is help give them a window into the compliance status of their business partners so that everybody can be comfortable and know that their investments are protected. Yeah. yeah. And can you do custom compliance? I mean, can you set up sort of custom compliance rules and stuff around things? So if a bank says, look, I'm, I'm in addition to the the cannabis law compliance stuff, I want to put other financial compliance stuff in place. Can you build that in on top of this or is that part of the... In certain ways, yes. And in other ways, we're, we're building. So, yeah, I mean, we're, yeah. we're a startup. We're, we're definitely, you know, first to admit we're still learning and growing yeah. and don't have the idealized version of what we'd love to have someday. But uh, the oversight portal allows you to really request any document whatsoever. Yeah. So any PDF, any Word document, you want a copy of Articles of Incorporation, that's not necessarily a compliance document, but you can ask for it. Anything that you ask for. So financial documents, profits and losses. We found that different overseers, different parents in that relationship look for different kinds of documents. Some people want profit and loss sheets. Other people want quarterly compliance audits. There's there's all different kinds of things that people are asking for. But the simplify audit, those yes or no questions that we were talking about before, today, that's fully controlled by our team. We are working on a way to allow businesses to do customized audits, but there's a lot of intricacies around comprehensiveness and accuracy of information that we need to work through yeah. uh, to make sure that when someone's conducting a full simplify audit, which has a meaning to it today, right? It means that our regulatory analysts have gone through and found everything there versus a customized audit that someone's made. Yeah. We want to make sure that that's clear in the reporting mechanism. So we're building a component of our software that will allow people to do that. But it comes with a, a due diligence aspect on our end to make sure that if someone is uploading a Simplify a compliance audit mm-hmm. to an oversight portal, we're being very clear about what was and wasn't audited so that we're not creating false expectations. Yeah, yeah. So sort of defining the scope of that and stuff makes sense. So if I'm uh, a business person thinking about getting involved in the sort of cannabis space, like what what are the steps or what are the things that you would advise people to to think about or to start working on before they actually get too far into it from uh, just understanding what the compliance scope is and what the compliance kind of oversight process looks like and then how to actually educate themselves and get more familiar with it uh, from a business point of view. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's a few different things. I mean, I think I, I always start by telling people like there is not some magic pot of gold at the end of this rainbow. Uh, no matter how many times you think that you're going to be printing money in two months, like that ain't going to be the case. Um, these, you know, I think the cannabis industry may be the, the hardest working industry in the country these days. I, I don't know anybody that has it easy. So, you know, you got to really want to roll your sleeves up and you almost have to want to like, you have to want to do this. You have yeah. to want to put up with the extra risk, the, the scrutiny, all the compliance obligations, because, you know, I think it's worth it. I, I love working in the cannabis industry, but mm-hmm. you, you have to want it. And I think that's really the predicate thing is, is getting past some of the misnomers associated with what working in the cannabis industry is like, you know, and and getting into the nuts and bolts of it. And then if you're willing to take that leap, if you're willing to take the plunge, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, the the two things I would tell people is like, uh, you know, cannabis is a market commodity, behaves like other market commodities. 
And so be thoughtful about where you want to spend your time and be thoughtful about your skill set. People are like, well, you know, I want to enter the cannabis industry, but I, I don't, you know, I'm an accountant. What can I do? Like, well, well, cannabis businesses need accountants. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like, it's not, it's not always like, I'm going to start my whole life over again. It's, it's a lot more like, what do I bring to the table? What are my skills? Like I'm, I'm a policy nerd. That's, that's my skill yeah. set. And apparently I can invent software companies, which is a skill I didn't know I had, yeah. but you know, now that's, I guess, added to the roster of, of things that I do. But you can bring all of those skills to bear to the cannabis industry. It's really a question of do you want to jump through all the hoops that are associated with it? Then, you know, unfortunately, depending on the state you're in, every state has some version of criminal background checks. Yeah. And so that's the thing that I would mention that, you know, we as advocates are constantly fighting and trying to create reform around. Yeah. You know, uh, people that were convicted of cannabis crimes that are now barred from working in the cannabis industry. It's kind of like, but we all agreed that shouldn't have been a crime. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Why are you, you know, so th there's some logic behind it. The idea is that people who have criminal records are more likely to have ties to organized crime and we don't want organized crime in the yep. licensed cannabis industry. I think I would argue that it's a bad proxy um, yep. because most people that have drug felonies actually aren't part of real organized crime in yep. any way. And as my, my good friend and, uh, policy wonk teammate for all things nerdiness, Andrew Livingston will always tell people mm -hmm. the skill set associated with running an organized crime operation successfully is very dissimilar to running a licensed cannabis business. I mean, yeah. the, the greatest thing we have protecting cannabis, the licensed cannabis industry from intrusion from organized crime is that the skill sets are different, Yeah. right? Like in organized crime, the skill sets are like operating a business without writing anything down. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, violence, intimidation, yeah. uh, you know, underground networks, lack of transparency, hiding the ball, smuggling yeah. things. In in the regulated cannabis industry, it's it's kind of the opposite. Yeah. Like you need to be like a transparent rule follower yeah. uh, who's who's able to document their in, uh, inventory down to the thousandth of a gram. Like at, the skill sets are entirely different. Like yeah. the, the bulk ward is not these ridiculous background checks and everything else. Like it's the idea that economically, it literally doesn't make sense. Like organized crime that loses revenue from cannabis is not likely to get a cannabis license. They're gonna focus on some yeah, other- on another illegal industry, yeah. Exactly, yeah. they're gonna make people for, everybody's like, no, they're no, they're a business. And like once one market dries up, they're gonna go find another market to, to, to apply their trade and services. And yeah. so, you know, I, unfortunately bringing us back, there's a lot of people that that should be allowed to participate yeah. in the cannabis industry that can't. And so, you know, one of the sad realities is you probably need to figure out whether you you can actually work in the industry or not. And, and if you're prohibited from working at a licensed business, you know, there are, I guess, in theory, other segments of the industry that don't come with the same kind of background checks, such as podcast host. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm assuming you'd have to go through a, a, a background check to, to start thinking outside the bud. So, no. you know, there's there are a lot of ways that people can get into the yeah. space. You know, it, it, the question really I have for folks is like, is your heart in it? Because yeah. it's going to be a lot of work. It's going to be a lot of long nights and it's not going to be as lucrative as you might think, especially in the near term. You know, I don't don't know a lot of people that are just printing money left and right. Yeah, no, exactly. I think it's a great message. I think the um, the idea is kind of figure out figure out what your passion is. Uh, and then figure out how to apply apply it to the cannabis space because I mean the fact is is it's it's such a fast growing industry that it needs everything you know it needs you know people from all kind of skill sets to be able to come in and and find solutions for for the needs in the cannabis space. Jordan, this yes. was this okay. is great. We're going to hit time here, so and I'd, I'm sure we could go on for another three hours. We can we can do another episode at some point. But if people want to find out more about you and about Simplifya, what's the best way to get more information? So Simplifya.com. 
S I M P L I F Y A or simplify with an a at the end.com is our is is our website. Uh, you can get all kinds of information about our software on that website. You can also um, sign up for a free trial. We give everybody a free two weeks to play with our software and and, and make sure that it suits their needs so we awesome. can do all of that. I am Googleable. Ooh. I found out recently. Uh, <laughs> there's not a lot there, but that's probably for the better, given given my preference in life. <laughs> so yeah, you could probably Google Simplifya, or if you really wanted to read dorky things that I've written about policy, you could probably Google Jordan Wellington and find one or two things. But uh, most importantly, Simplifya, Simplifya, Simplifya. All right, great. I'll put links to that in the show notes so people can go through. Uh, this was a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time, Jordan. It was a great conversation. I learned a lot, and I appreciate the time. It was awesome being here. Uh, I look forward to a follow-up conversation one day. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.